Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. To make this episode fun. Shit, I messed up my intro. Th- to <laughs> make sure that we don't say anything negative because we keep it positive yeah, we've, here. We've only done 165 episodes. We try to keep it, I was multitasking. We try to keep it positive here on the podcast. If we don't keep it positive, if we say anything negative at all, you're going to hear this sound. <laughs> That sound means Ooh. we need to take a drink, and we hope you drink along with us. This is our second episode of the night, so we're feeling a little loose by this point. So drink along with us, people. So pour yourselves a glass, crack a shot, crack a tinny, whatever you're going to do. Crack a tinny. And we're going to talk about the uh, the film that asked the question, why doesn't Roger Deakins answer my emails? Okay. <laughs> Cheers. Crack a tinny. This is, we're trying to get our Australian demographic up by our <laughs> oh, Yeah, drunk. we only have one download from New South Wales. Queensland has abandoned us. So. Um, quick update, people. Dave's slurring his speech because he's drunk from the previous episode. John is very drunk because he hasn't eaten anything all day. That's and a true story. Jeff's getting there. Mm-hmm. And wait, no did, ice, no ice in this one. No, in fact, it's warm. I'm pissed. I should have gotten more. I should have gotten more ice in this. Um, this episode, it reminds you. It beckons you. This is Empire of Light. This movie beckons you to remember a time where a ticket, a ticker taker. Fuck. Right. <laughs> oh, it's going well. <laughs> Are you gonna buzz? It? No, I'm just gonna. Nope. You, you punish yourself for that one. Yeah, you did it all your this, own. <laughs> this episode takes you back to a time where you can a, a ticket ripper at the movie theater can own a 1,200 foot ocean view beachfront property. Ah, fuck it. I fucked up my... Whatever, you guys saw really weird. No, I, okay, no, I know what you mean, dude. Getting away there with. are a few things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should say as long as you're white, but I don't think we're at the point to make jokes about that no. yet. Uh, but that is it. But th- no, but that's important to this movie. That, that does come up in this conversation. I Okay, I shouldn't have said anything. I really... Um, people, we are the Love of Cinema podcast. Um, <laughs> we're talking about Sam Mendes's... That, that it is... What I... The joke I just made is relevant to the content it of is, the video. Yes, it's about the movie, for sure. Um, of course. And I say that with love. Um, so, Sam Mendes written and directed Empire of Lights. Um, Roger Deakin shot this, as Dave alluded to. Two-time Academy Award winner, 79-time nominee Roger Deakins. Um, starring... <laughs> this is my annual reminder of saying... That Olivia Coleman is one of our great actors of all time. And because she comes from She's comedy, a because she comes from comedy, she doesn't get paired with the Cates, Blanchett and Winslet, or Meryl Streep or Viola Davis. She doesn't get paired with them, but. No, it's she's okay. there every she's, single she's time she's, she's in a movie. She's great. She's joining the MCU. She's going to be fine. Get the fuck out. Is she really? Man. Yeah. What is she's, she doing? Uh, which, she's, which phase? Seven? Pick, which phase is she going to uh, be it's, in? It's phase five, I believe. She's picking up. And this is after Disney does the reshuffle where they're apparently going for quality over quantity. Uh, but she's going to be playing um, someone in the Secret Invasion series, which leads into the. the fuck is that? It's yeah. How did they get Secret Olivia Invasion? Is a big, it's a big storyline in Marvel. So yeah, okay, she, sure. Yeah, great. I, she, That's no, so she, important. She then. apparently she apparently watched them and she was like, yeah, no, I'd love to do it. And then she was she like, kid, she's kids, she doesn't she? She was like, no, I I know, like it's a lot of filmmakers don't like it and stuff like yeah. that. But it was just so much fun. Was her quote? She right, had fun. Fine. The shoots are long. I can't imagine how fun a seven month shoot is. But she had a great time. John, your face is getting red. How you doing? Not the TV. 
Can't stop laughing at you, dude. All right. So <laughs> talking about Empire of Light, if you're new to our podcast, positive, uh, we try to keep it spoiler free for a couple minutes um, so that you can get our initial takeaway, what we thought, what we feel, as opposed to the New York Times and their fucking bullshit piece of garbage theater writers, those pieces of shit. If you hate those fucking critics, if you hate glib, um, stuck up, arrogant pieces of shit, insensitive, naive pieces of garbage like Jesse Green at the New York Times, then you should listen to our podcast Jesus. for like 10 minutes he's or so. He's coming for you, Jesse. <laughs> then you oh, should Jesse, listen. you're toast. He knows what he did. He had, to, <laughs> he had to put his Twitter on private. He knows what he did. Because he can say reviews about whatever he wants. And as soon as somebody says something about him at work, all of a sudden he has to go into hiding. But fine. Oh, wow. K-pop, the musical people, should that. still be on Broadway. And he fucking basically single-handedly closed the show. It wasn't selling well, but he could really help. And instead he was a dickhead. Um, so anyway, we try to not be those stuffy arrogant conceited podcast um, um critics by just telling you what we think what we feel yeah, we love we feel. movies we love drinking beer and talking about movies so we hope you do too um and then at the end we'll give you our recommendations of what we've been watching but first john let's shout our people out with a quick um sponsor you know the thing that we do the thing we wow, do five we minutes have in a beer bullshit. sponsor <laughs> damn it <laughs> we have a beer sponsor named carlos barozzo you can find his handle in the show notes it's at cbarozzo.beer on the instagram if you want to follow him and share his love and support and uh, passion for brewing delicious ipas ales lagers all the beers uh, he's, he's fun to watch if you want to get on that handle and uh, give him some love. Uh, we also have a uh, in-house resident musician who provides Sorry. all the music on this episode and every single episode by the name of Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. All of his music is available on every single music platform. So uh, go check it out. Download for free. Whose house right, is let's he at do now? It, you guys. What? You said he was in-house. Whose house is he staying at now? You, oh, you're dude. the only one with the spare bedroom. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, we just recorded our episode on The Whale with Brendan Fraser. Um, I forgot to mention his divorce. I was going to do that, but um, we don't have to do that. Um, so we are No, here. you mentioned it. You made a joke about it. You insensitive cunt. Jesus. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Did I make a joke about it? Mm-hmm. He owes fifty thousand dollars a month in child support, and they didn't negotiate when he stopped making movies. <laughs> so he owes six hundred. <laughs> he owes six hundred thousand dollars a year, and and even when he doesn't make movies, he still has to pay that. I mean, it's that's uh, why the mummy has been in syndication <laughs> for so long. He was like TBS, TNT. Now, you kill a bitch. She, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, guys, get it out! Come on. Um, she she insists that he was hiding. <laughs> Upcoming projects uh, at the time of the settlement, so that he should have voted oh. for. Anyway, um, oh god, so that's we're talking oh, about that's Empire funny. of Light, um, but first we have to what go through we? our gripes. We have to well, we have to get through our gripes of the week, people. So I, we, I promise we're going to get to Empire of the Week, but you know, we we have things that we just need to get off our chest. So we like to go through our gripes of the week. I should use this time also to say, please like, subscribe, follow. We really do appreciate it. I, I got yes. somebody somebody that I work with. I listened to my pod and I didn't even promote it because it's a school. So I don't promote this podcast <laughs> yes. when there's children around. And the guy like whispered in my ear that anyway. So we really kids, appreciate you it. shouldn't it be so listening much. to this. We love you. Keep yeah, that's right. If you love it or hate it, who cares? Just send us the review. Dave will respond kindly, usually. And um, 
Um, but first, we got to go through our gripes of the week, and then I promise Empire Light coming up next. Fellas, this is our second episode. Do you have anything up your sleeve that no, you want to gripe about? I, no, I've gri- I'm all griped out. What do you got? John? I'll, I'll share the uh, oldest LA gripe in the history. You want to hit the timer? It's on. I've been busy as fuck for the past, like, year and a half being out here with school but at the end of each semester i have like one or two nights where i get to go out with some friends and after we see our like a screenings at the end of each semester it is so hard to go out in the city of los angeles because there's no transit and you can't really drink too much because everybody has to drive somewhere and you probably have to drive like 20 or 30 minutes so i'm just gonna go ahead and throw my hat into the ring I'm officially complaining about the fact that it is difficult to have a nightlife in Los Angeles and the bars close at two and it's really weird. I feel like you just have to live with somebody okay. that you can split Ubers with. That's the end because you have to Uber everywhere and it's I'm expensive. I'm just going to stop you right there because like we stopped over for two for one night in LA and we got fucking hammered. Because we went out in your hotel, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> we were like... At the bar around the corner. <laughs> you, guys are like, you guys are like the White Lotus where it's like, why are they... Why are they eating at the hotel restaurant every night? They're in Italy. Dave went all the way to Los Angeles to go out in the hotel bar. <laughs> we had dinner at the hotel, we then the we found a bar around the corner that was great. It was. It was really fun. You got to walk. Honestly, it's just that. It's just not a pedestrian-friendly city, and I have to drive like 20 or 30 minutes everywhere, so I just can't I can't get drunk when I'm in public. It's weird. Not that I like need to get yeah, drunk. Yeah, it's not like you New feel York like, where you just get drunk just so and sit in a doorway and, and stuff. And like, I know. <laughs> dude. I was spoiled by New York where the city, the culture is going all night. And of course you don't have to drive if you don't want to. I'm just, it's just really weird going out here. I feel like, I feel like I haven't made as many friends because of it. Cause nobody wants to go out at night. Yeah. It's so strange. It's such a weird okay, thing. Jeff, here. we anyway, need to go. That's to, it. Jeff, Let's we go. need to go to LA and liven them up. Okay. You guys, I'll give you two words <laughs> and you have, you get to choose the word. And that word is the gripe books okay. or woods books or woods. Woods for sure. Okay, woods. Gripe timer. Gripe timer. <laughs> Jeff's got woods. Gripe timer. Woods. Yeah. What is this? Gripe? Okay. People in in movies and TV shows. When you're running in the woods, you got to get your knees up. I need high knees. Stop tripping. It's so fucking ridiculous. If you're running in the woods, you're gonna trip. I know it every single time. High knees. All right. You got to get up. Get up and over those branches. You want to be stepping on those branches. You don't want to be running into watching? them Stop and tripping and falling on your knees. And of course, it was uh, Wednesday, which was another great show. The kid falls. He loses his glasses. It's like, okay, come on, man. And I I know he's not an athletic kid, but like you got to get those knees up. You just you got to do it. Also, there weren't any branches on the ground. So what did he trip on? You know what I mean? Come on. You got to just high knees, people. That's all I'm saying. High knees. I think my ultimate example of that is when McCully trips and loses his glasses in my girl and then gets stung by all those bees. You know what I mean? Yeah, because everybody else has been saying, oh, that was really dramatic. That m- made my childhood. So I'm going to do the same thing, but with no bees or branches on a closed set. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. What are we talking about? What are we, what, what, I can't even remember what movie we're doing. Uh, we are talking about not, Empire listen, Light. listen to our whale intro and listen to this one and see why we drink during this podcast. Um, we're talking it's, about Empire of Light. It's messy, which Empire is This is written and directed by Sam Mendes, starring Olivia Colman, Michael Ward, who our British friends would know from Top Dog. And those of you who like good podcasts like ours... We'll know him from the Team Deacons podcast. I listened to him on that, and it was fantastic. Shout out. Um, Colin yeah. Colin Firth and Toby Jones got and credits. What are they called? And it's like and Toby Jones. Uh, Colin got and, and Toby got with. So they both sure. got the... Uh, 
the uh, yeah up a up a notch. You're not top billing, but we'll give you an additional. I, uh, I what, feel like what they, is that they, word, Jeff, in English? In English, what is an and? Yeah, yeah. What do we call an and? Or you're a you're showing me a circle. You're talking about the ampersand thing. Well, it's a that's another it's no, an and that's symbol. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't know. Sorry. Conjunct. Doesn't matter. Let's keep going. None um, of us are smart enough to know. I, I forgot. Schoolhouse Rock. Um, never got cast in that musical. Um, so that was random. <laughs> um, review review's not fantastic, but what, I mean, hold on, wait, wait, wait. What grade did you audition for the Schoolhouse Rock, the musical, and you didn't get cast? Hold on. Um, <laughs> when did this trauma trauma occur? No, I just uh, I fire, fire, shut shut up. <laughs> <laughs> conjunction junction. Watch your function. If it's a conjunction, it's not right. It's not a conjunction. I don't fucking know, dude. Um, an article? Is it just an article? No, that's like a the, uh, an and. No, it the. It might be an article. It can't be an article. An and and a. I'm typing. <laughs> Are you? John's looking something up. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> oh my god! Can we please talk about the fucking movie? <laughs> it is a conjunction. Oh! <laughs> oh my god! We figured it out. Oh, Thank man. God for Adobe Volume Eleven. Listeners. <laughs> Listeners, just so you know, <laughs> we always, whenever we have two films to talk about, we always are like, which one should we talk about first so that we're not too drunk for the inappropriate one to be too drunk for? I'm glad we made this choice. Yes. It probably would this not have been a so polite to the conversation if we were wasted for the whale. All right, let's go. What are we doing? We were as sober as possible considering how drunk we were talking about the whale. We're talking about Empire of Light. This is set in the early 1980s. It's actually set in, I believe, 1980. 1980, English coastal town. Yeah. The we should say the English South I was eight Coast. At that where time. At the English we don't you don't gotta age yourself. Oh the day happy birthday coming up in a week. Can't wait. Yeah. Um the south of England, which is I imagine wait, a little bit I, warmer. When I turn than the north fifty, do I have to stop doing this podcast? Are you the one that's trying to get into this movie or not? Like are, <laughs> do you want us to talk about it? I can't tell who's the one who wants to get on with this or not. We gave your birthday the shout out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Dave has to be Dave has to be at work in like, Can we cry? like six hours. <laughs> I'm old emotional uh, and the youth don't respect me anymore. <laughs> sorry, Dave. Um okay. Get off the lawn, motherfucker. <laughs> so um so anyway, let's let's read the IMDB pitch and then you guys take it away with your initial <laughs> takeaways, spoiler free, what you think, what you feel. A drama about the power of human connection, boy. That's not how they should have started this blurb, I don't think. (laughs) Dude, it's taken us 14 minutes already. You can't (laughs) criticize them. (laughs) Woof. Okay. Yeah, that is... uh... All right. I'll buzz me too. What are you buzzing me for? Okay. You're the first one who said that's not how they should have started. This could be bad. Okay. A drama about the power of human connection during turbulent times set in an English coastal town in the early 1980s. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, Dave... Since your birthday's coming next week, which you just can't stop talking about, I'm kidding. What? Why don't you start first? What did you think? What did you feel watching Empire Light with your boy Roger Deakins? Ooh. Okay. First of all, Deakins is the Emperor of Light. Let's just say that right uh, now, he, yeah, straight dude, up front. Yeah, dude, it's uh, so beautiful. What? A little too, a little, so good. You're right. It's too punny. You know. This is a most beautiful piece of work. <laughs> I. It is. I enjoyed this immensely oh, nice. like a, like also like 
in every in every Deacon's film, there's a like those one that one shot where it's like that's a Deacon shot. There were about four of them in this, which was great. I feel like there was such fantastic character work. Like every single person is given their chance to be real, and they're like distinctly unique. Yeah. So like I really enjoyed the progression of this. I yeah, I enjoyed this movie immensely. I walked you- out of this feeling really really good. Do you have a do you have a, that list of four Deacon shots in your back pocket? Yeah, I'm going to quiz you on that later. I want to know what they are. Go ahead and jot this down to make sure we come back to it there. So we got the four <laughs> Deacon shots. <laughs> four is a number I threw out. There were they might have been more, they might have been less. You were, yeah, I think there were. A f- I know, there were a few. You'll have, you have to go. Like you'll have to go see it to find you out. Got Fifteen minutes will be in spoilers. You have four yeah. Deacon shots. I would love to hear about because I thought this movie was beautiful to behold. You can hear about how you can fuck yourself. Yeah, you fucking asshole. John, what'd you think? I, uh, all right, so I'm not going to lie. I went in with not like crazy high expectations, but um, this movie snuck up on me because I was kind of waiting for a story to emerge, even though, you know, it teaches you that it's going to be about characters like very quickly. And so I was, so I was on board. I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed or anything. But whatever story that does end up being what you might think Ugh. of as the plot, and I don't even want to use that word because it's not a plot-driven film, but the story does arrive later than maybe you think it's going to. Um, but this is absolutely one of those that I kind of can't stop thinking about. I've been listening to the score since seeing it. I've been thinking about how it made me feel. It's very tonal. It has a. Uh, it, it is a story that revolves around a location. Mm. Um, unlike the whale that we talked about, which is a play that is that is forced into a location because all of the action takes place in it. This kind of revolves around a location, even though you don't feel like you're constrained, like inside yeah. of this theater. Like it's really remarkable how they do that. But it also um, does speak of like theater as an escapism as such mm-hmm. because they have their own little bottled, bottled world where this stuff is happening outside and then it starts to influence the inside. So I'll say, I'll say, I will say this, this is my only possibly critical thing. And I don't blame any of these guys for this, but this is like the fifth movie I've seen this year that has a little bit of nostalgia and dare I say, sentimentality for movies. movies. And, and I don't know if it's the these theme people of this knew year, they were dude. all doing it. Yeah, yeah, I get it's, it. We're all, we all did the pandemic. It's all these guys it's are... It's because everyone went to streaming and now they're yeah. like, theater is good. Theater is nice. Come back to theater. This is why theater is good. And yeah. they're right. So, yeah. But... So I did yeah. think like if this movie had come out in another year where that wasn't the, the case, I think it would have touched me even more than it did. Yeah. So I'm excited to watch this movie like 15 years from now when I'm just watching this canon again and kind of going through it. And it's not in the context of Fableman's Bardo and um, uh, Armageddon Time and all these things that kind of like kind of make you think about the Like we all love movies, but when we talk about it all the time, it kind of loses some power. That's not a fault of this movie. That's not a criticism of this movie. He didn't know they were doing that too. So I don't, I don't really want to focus on that, but there is a little mm. bit of that. I mean, so if you're like us and you've seen everything. This movie is more than just that. Yeah, and I don't even I don't want to say sentimental because I, I think Sam does a good job of taking you up to the edge where mm. nostalgia slips into sentimentality, and he doesn't really go there the well, way the opening of Fable does. Sort does. of, it's 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 not like he's it. The film itself is sentiment sentimental. It preys on your sentimentalities. 
Like the it, yeah, they they reveal in the theater that there's another theater above it that is closed and abandoned. It's it's like it's that adventure of finding this undiscovered country above the theater and it's your own private space that is now abandoned and it's just yours and that's that sort of thing that really spoke to me yeah yeah it did speak to me too and and uh, come on i don't want to sound like an asshole here i think sentimentality can be low-hanging fruit nostalgia is the the righteous sibling of sentimentality and there is a lot of nostalgia in this film. I guess I went into it thinking I was just going to live in mm. 1980 into 81 as opposed to uh, like thinking about the 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 magic of the past. Yeah. I thought I was just going to be in the past. I think we came so in from two different points. I, I welcomed that set of mentality. I enjoyed everything they took me on through in this. So. All right. So, yeah. well, I, don't get me wrong. It it didn't end up bothering me. Yeah, we, but when it was be, when, we the way they were introduced, the film that's what it's about. Like, take the hint in that you can have different reactions to stuff. This is true. This yeah. is true. I I still don't. I'm still a, I'm still a film lover, and I miss those kinds of movie theaters. And I try to go to like I still was affected by it. Um, but I think when we got past the introductions to those segments of the projection room, the new theater. The theater, not the theater itself. I loved the opening sequence. Uh, then I was able to concentrate on the characters, which I think was the focus of this story, which is what he wanted me to be thinking mm-hmm. about. And it, it did get there. And I was able to just kind of sink and just kind of enjoy. Dare I say, I think Sam Mendes has just made his first British film. I, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. I think he made his Ken Loach. He made his, this is a tiny film. He happened to be working with amazing actors and amazing collaborators like Roger Deakins and James Deakins um, and uh, Reznor and Atticus Ross. Finch and Trent and Ross. Yeah, Atticus I mean, they, Finch, they fucking, that's right. Atticus Finch Atticus stepped Finch. in Atticus here Reznor and gave a dramatic speech. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. That I, I do want to talk about them a little bit later because this I'm pretty sure this is the very first time that he has not worked with Thomas Newman. Oh. And I was very aware of it throughout the entire thing. And I love this score. Uh, we can talk about that later, but I think this is his first like smaller British film. And I, I appreciate it so much for that. I kind of, I, in a way, I kind of wish that maybe he would just market it as yes, I'm the guy who made those movies you've heard of, but this is not that. Cause I think people might want to go see I, uh, something that is tiny well, and that, kind of exists on another I, I plane. Enjoy, I enjoyed that on that level because I walked in knowing absolutely nothing about this film. Same. I didn't Me even too. know Roger, I didn't even know Deacon shot it. I didn't I walked until in t- knowing nothing. <laughs> I didn't until I said, Dave, when are you seeing the whale? And you said, I thought we were seeing the Roger Deacons movie. And I went, Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's that's when I knew that that's I didn't I knew little less than you did. Yeah. Um this movie, this movie is beautiful. I think I'm hearing, I don't want to say, okay, we'll, we'll talk about what you guys want to talk about in a, in a little bit. I will say I, I really like this movie. Olivia Colman is a hero. I, I heard somebody recently say it almost felt like she was a co-writer in this movie. Not to say that she actually was, but in the sense that her performance, you can't separate her performance from the movie. Having said that, I, I, I'm not going to say I wish or they should have done something different. You're already saying like it's a character-driven story. I was like, it, it shouldn't have been. It should have been a her movie because it's. It, it, I think that it was trying to be a slice of life first-person thing, and then you had the two characters, and it, I don't think it handled that particularly well for me. Mm. Um, so, and and I I loved playing with both of them because 
I thought Michael Ward. I, I thought if, if this was a bigger film, this would be an absolute, he'd be a bona fide, this would be a breakout star performance. I know he did Top Dog two seasons, which is a big British thing, but like this could be, he could be the next Daniel Kaluuya after this film. Like he's so big, just like where one movie, he's you're really a, good, where one movie yeah. you're a star and you have the back catalog to mm. follow it up. And of course, Olivia Coleman's gold. And I actually love the tonal shift because this opens as a slice of life and then it turns into a drama mm. and then it turns into... It's hard, it's almost hard to pivot. It, then it turns into like an action film of sorts, but it doesn't really it, go I mean, full. I feel no. I feel like it kind of deals with mental health more than the action. Yeah, and that comes later. I mean, they they hint at it early on, but it seems it seems it almost, honestly the, the the tone vibe that I got at the beginning was Albert Knobs. That's how sort of like you know you know step by step. This is what we do. Day this is life, our day yeah. day in the life. Yeah. And I was like, maybe this is going to be Cinema Paradiso or something. Again, everything doesn't need the comparison. And this movie was beautiful, and the, and the performances were great. It's just. I think it, it's I nostalgia. I forget about sentimentality. For me, it was a lot of nostalgia and it seemed like we were taught, we were bringing up different things and I just, we didn't go full into them. So the stuff with the pigeon in the theater upstairs, it doesn't have to wrap up, but it's like, we never really did anything with it, you know? And so it was their special place and then it got taken away. But are then, you still, I don't are you know, still? it just, it just, <laughs> no, 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 I know, we were, I know, I know, we were dancing still, um... around it a lot and it was fun and entertaining and beautiful. And I just, it just didn't like, it didn't pinch me. That's all. Anyway, but it was great. I hope everybody sees it. Do you feel the way that I was talking about though? Cause I think I, I think I agree with you mostly, but since seeing it, I kind of can't stop thinking about all of it. And, and it mm. makes me wonder if he did that thing that um, I heard in Urito say this in an interview recently, and I'm not comparing this to Bardo because I think Bardo is like a different, a very different kind of movie and very successful in different ways. But uh Urito was talking about how this uh, metaphor he's kind of been thinking about as a writer recently is that um, the difference between deep sea diving and snorkeling as a storyteller where you want to take them below the weight of the ocean with certain kinds of drama? Or do you want to take them to this place where they can see what's happening, but they don't have to go underneath the weight yeah, of right, it? you're right. And, and I will say, this is good. And I was really touched in those hospital like scenes at the end. I, re- I was really touched by them because, well, I guess, like, yeah, because yeah. They, didn't over, they didn't oversell it. They didn't show us. You're right. Because well, I almost had the, and, and I mean this with the most respect I could possibly say. And, I, and I, this is what I mean when I was saying a truly like indie British movie it's not about it even being British. It's just about it. It almost had that kind of independent, not movie of the week. Like, I'm, I don't want to degrade it at all, but like it felt so small that that almost what it was trying to afford to give us was just a glimpse of these issues of human behavior. And then we really needed to keep thinking about them yeah. to make it real. Yeah. And it did. I think it did get there for me because I'm still thinking about it. But Jeff, I know exactly what you mean. When I was in the theater, when I was watching it, I was a little bit like, what are they doing? Like they, they have all these characters they're introducing yeah. and yet they're not really developing enough of an arc for me to anticipate some kind of massive, uh, we use the word catharsis uh, last episode, something like that. I, I, I eventually knew that they weren't trying to yeah. get that for me, but I, I wasn't quite sure why. I was like, you have these amazing characters set in this unbelievably dynamic and violent backdrop of British culture at this time period. And yet you're kind of just putting your toe in the water for all of these issues. And I, I and I was I just wasn't quite sure. But, I, but would, by the end of it, hmm. I felt like I did start feeling what he yeah. wanted me to feel. But Is maybe it, did you not feel that no, way? No, I, I did. 
the end of my negative react because i want to i want to spin it back to positive i just kind of wanted to say that just that like it didn't necessarily give me but you're right i'm gonna keep thinking about it and i love simple nuance of just characters and i love that olivia coleman had this you know interaction and then the, the relationships changed between her depending on where she was and i love how she went with it and you know went with the flow and didn't there were no there were no breakout scenes where there were there were no confrontation scenes. You know, they they did let things be a little honestly, in a weird way, it was almost this Americana style, even though it was British, where it's like you just go with the flow and, and not everything has to be a deep rooted confrontational drama. And I, I did really appreciate that. Um, and I'm I'm rooting for all these characters and what happens next. So I, I think that as a moment in time. Is it a little weird that she never watched a movie and then she had this weird cathartic moment with Toby Jones? Yeah, I guess so. But at the same time, those moments bothered me the most. Yeah. So because there were there were moments. Sorry, go ahead. Finish what you're saying. But just, you know, like I I, I could tell if it was it obvious that it was the cinema paradiso moment or like. It just, I, I, I don't know, know what, I, I don't know what was I, happening because it was a very specific thing. Because that was a situation where it was a very specific the, thing. I think you guys are looking too much for the big picture. And I feel no. like, like Toby Jones, um, when he, we got to that moment on the stairs and like they were, she was like, can you show me a film? And he shared a bit of himself. It kind of, it, this whole story was about those characters inside that cinema. It's true. There were other bigger I, things going on outside, but it was their story. Those well, bigger I, things occasionally influenced it, but it was happening somewhere else. I'll, I'll level with you. I don't think I'm looking for the big picture. I think I'm trying to explain why I didn't leave the theater with the gut punch that, say, Banshees of Inisherin did. I'm sorry that we're doing this. The end of the year, we're seeing good movies, and it's like when Banshee. When I left Banshees, I like couldn't talk I don't to think anybody. These are good comparisons to make, but like. And that was just like a simple little film, a simple little dialogue that was brilliant. And it's like in this film, I didn't leave thinking the same way. But at the same time, I level with you because you're right. There were so many moments in the theater where it was just simple theater things and the life that was happening that are very memorable. And I will cherish them for a long time that don't connect to a single big picture that would have packaged a response from me. So (laughs) I'll I'll level with you on that, Dave. I think you're right. Thank you. But I but I I do want to agree with you, though, that. There should, were two moments should, should specifically. Should we go into spoilers right now? Can sure, we, can sure. we, well, I keep it positive. We did. We, I think this movie is very worth no, seeing. And I spoilers hope it, is a thing where we don't ruin the movie. That's a positive thing. I know, <laughs> I know, but I don't want people to leave with us thinking like this is murky. Like, go see this movie if you want to stop it now. And um, I hope it. I hope it plays well on at home because in the theater when you commit to these I kinds think of it things. Will. You know, you know, I hope so. I think. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't mind leaving people before we go to spoilers, thinking like I don't think these reviews are getting incredible reviews. This is a, this is sitting somewhere subjective for people. It's yeah. sitting yes. in the high six, low seven we've, for we've people. We've literally had three so different reactions it. to it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So go see it and tell us what you think. Yeah. Spoiler and, alert. And that firework had, scene. Oh my god, that firework scene. Like go see it for that. That whole it was. Uh, oh, it was amazing. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Pure pure cinema, right? Yeah. Um. There are two moments specifically that I can recall, and I'm, I think there were a couple more, to be honest with you, but I, I didn't make notes. Are we in spoilers where, now? Should I fire this yes, off? Thank yes, you we there. are. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where what you're talking about, Jeff, did distract me. And I, you know, that's all I'm really looking for. I just don't want to be distracted. I can kind of get doing this podcast, trying to be a good audience member, whatever. I can kind of get on board with whatever you're giving to me, unless it's something distracts me from the viewing experience. And I feel like this movie was trying to establish a very grounded sense of realism and naturalism, even though Roger Deakins shot it and it has this a little bit of a heightened realism aesthetic just because yeah. it's 
every shot was beautifully composed and beautifully lit, even though it was supposed to feel natural. We're in a place like a movie theater where it can be a little bit heightened. I'm fine with that. But in terms of behavior, uh, blocking, I thought it was, they were teaching me to think that this was supposed to be realism and actually taking place in actual 1980 uh, South coast of uh, UK. Yeah. But then... The scene where the Sorry. guy refused to get rid of his chips was very, very, it threw me off because that took so long. And there were things that were unrealistic about it, like the people behind him who didn't say anything, who just stood there. There was an enormous amount of, the movie's about to start. I mean, that was a nobody very said anything. British reaction from I my guess perspective. So, but- Maybe. I, I yeah. don't know. I think it took I think like it took they're almost it, as polite as Canadians. It went too far <laughs> though, because they didn't even get the extras behind them to give a chance to be polite. So yeah. that threw me out. And then the fact that yes, they established that she had never really watched most of the movies. That's not really what she did. It didn't feel like it was established enough for them to go so far with the viewing experience of being there, which I that movie that touched me a little bit personally just because I watched I don't know if you guys remember, but I watched that for the first time a few months ago. And that last line, life is a state of mind, like fucking rock. I can't stop thinking. I'm still thinking about it. It, Like it blew me away, but it didn't feel like it belonged in this movie, the way she saw it and the, the heightened way that she experienced it. I kind of felt like there were a few moments like that, that I wonder if I would have gotten even more out of downplaying it in the storytelling because they had established such a, a kind of a, yes, we're in this place that is really beautiful where these magic stories happen, but they happen in here and up here subjectively. Hmm. And I, I feel like the language was telling me that we don't really have access to here and here. We just get to kind of live with these people. And then a couple of moments like that happened where it kind of took me out of it. Well, it, yeah, that's that's funny because that's a lot of the stuff I responded to was the stuff yeah. that happened outside the theater, which was like the abandoned stuff upstairs, uh, yeah. the stuff on the beach, like, all of all of that stuff I responded to more than what actually happened in the theater. Me too. Me too. Um, what about? Can we just talk about the two of them? Because that's this movie, right? It's I mean, it's Olivia Coleman, and then essentially this what what I don't want to say should be a slice of life, but what it, in most movies would be a slice of life. And then Michael Ward comes in, the character, um, his character name, and this is Stephen. And then you have the first scene where he's still a secondary character. And then very quickly, he becomes almost a co-lead for large sections of this movie. And their relationship. He's a supporting be- actor if you don't want to go into category fraud. I mean, he's definitely yeah, a supporting yeah. actor. <laughs> but for periods of this film, it really is the two of them. Yeah, it is the two of them. And it's, I wonder, I, we don't need to get into the Sam Mendes why this happens, but it opens up this sense of meaning that it's hard to define but and it's not just like movies have meaning thankfully thankfully this person who works at the movie doesn't just find the answers in movies thank god especially with the we can take a pass on like her watching this one movie and the cathartic experience that that was but the two of them together it's so infectious that that's like with the beauty and everything that's been set up and, and the bizarreness of this relationship, but also how they both understand that this isn't going to happen forever. And is it, wait, is it's the bizarreness of the relationship and, because she's older than him? Cause well, I thought that was a it, very bold choice. Well, and it comes, yes, fine. I'll say, yeah, I'll say and that. And she's also, she's also very, there. she's very lonely and he's young and healthy and apparently also, has no problems is, going out. She is also not mentally well. 
Yeah, so though that we, by this point when they start getting together, yeah. we don't know the extent of it other than she's been on lithium. But at the same time, this is a period where who they could have prescribed lithium to anybody, you know? So. Yeah. But oh my god, when she breaks, she's fucking terrifying. I mean, oh, yeah, well, yeah, she's yeah, the best. I'm telling you, we have to we have to put her we have to put her on the list. That was yeah, that was like that was that's the fucking Oscar clip right there when she breaks. Which one at this? The, the wine castles when she's having the wine, when she's drinking. Yeah, yeah. when yeah. she's locked yeah, in her sure. apartment, then she's literally going off a nut, and then the cops break in. She's sitting there with the suitcase. But the scene before that, where she's just she losing so great her when they, fucking mind, when they come in and she's just sitting there after yeah. all the yelling, it's so good. That's so good. But yeah, the yeah, scene there before are, that there is are three, like she's terrifying. There are three taboos in their relationship, right? The fact that she's older, that he's black, and that she is mentally ill. Which mm. the first one, the second, that third one is sorry, <laughs> first, second, third. That third one, I the mental instability. Okay, I know it is not established immediately. So no. really, we, we initially it's have these two taboos out, is, that we're yeah. dealing but, with. But yeah. it, but it is. It's just not. It could just be loneliness. But it, we should know that lithium yeah. means personality disorder yeah. we should we For should sure. know yeah. that but lithium we, is we go to her our parents, doctor's appointment with our her. parents generation would have known that i think yeah, sorry yeah. sorry dave we see uh, no i no, got yeah, that yeah we see yeah see yeah, yeah, yeah. i am your father no, <laughs> no we, we see that immediately but i think the uh i think the, the i think but i, I it, it's such a fun way to establish know. it's such a fun way to establish that kind of slice of life thing when you deal with two people who are, they don't really do a really um, very intentionally. They worked for me. They don't try to over explain at all or explain at all why these two people are interested in each other. Well, uh, and I that, really love that. Yeah. I, I love that as well. Cause like sometimes it just happens. It's like, there's a click. Yeah. And that made that real. They, yeah, guys, can I just talk about the fireworks scene when when he comes back? Because this yeah. is where this is where they became the movie became the two of them. It's like, hey, Rog, go and go and film some stuff exploding in the night sky. All right. So, <laughs> so brilliant, Fucking beautiful that he has his hat, he has his nice outfit and the shoes, and this this is the nostalgia that's like fucking. It's you know you're not going to see him in the club, you know you're not going to go there because it's still nope. her movie. Yeah, but. They're going out with the crazy girl at the, the theater, the crazy hair, who's probably going to love Blondie in a year or two or, you know, whoever else, foreigner, et cetera. And, and then as Olivia Coleman's leaving, doing the regular routine, and it's New Year's Eve, and I almost forgot it was New Year's Eve, you know, which I guess was good on Sam Mendes. And then he comes back and he says, I want to apologize about earlier, you're right. And also, um, you know, I, I wanted to know if you had anybody to watch the fireworks. And it wasn't romantic necessarily, but it was sweet at the same time where it's like, he actually would have been okay to they, go along yeah it's it's so like if, if she wasn't there he would have been it's okay funny to because like a lot of a lot of films will not go there with the older female romantic interest like they won't well, do it that way because for some reason in film it's a little bit of a taboo and yeah i feel like they eased you into it where you it was like when it happened it was okay well, and it just it just and happens which is good you know because it it's totally fine like that should happen 
Well, we shouldn't it assume that every happen. every young, attractive people who hang out are going to do it. It makes it's apparently messing up our generation or the younger generation in real time to just assume that a sexual interaction is going to happen every time they see it, another attractive person. So we shouldn't assume <laughs> that. And at the same time, we shouldn't assume that people who you would think wouldn't be together can't have some form of intimacy, even if it's not yeah. kissing. And stuff. But them going I'm talking them about going, strictly from a Hollywood perspective, they are not true. comfortable. And hopefully, I know, I know an older older romantic lead and. When and I female. love, you know, there's there's other examples, but Kate Winslet with Mare of Easttown, and and she made sure yeah. the story got out where she was like, I refuse to let them CGI um, anything out, you know, to make it look a certain way. Like I want them to show it real raw. I don't care if I if I don't look as good as I did in Titanic, um, etc. Playing Seven Degrees of Sam Mendes here. Interesting. That Interesting. and um, that and um, uh, what was the other older female? Uh, the reader when when kate did that yeah, as well yeah yeah mm-hmm. helen mirren you know but again she was, she i think i think what was so refreshing younger, about life, these you know. was that like i feel like those those two roles that you're talking about it was kind of like isn't this interesting like i feel i felt that way that in, in a good way that that was part of their storytelling whereas this i don't think i was supposed to feel like isn't this crazy i was no, just same. in the theater yeah, with them just, yeah, i was thing. just in the cafe yeah. with them yeah, it was, it was, as they started lovely. kissing and when they were having sex and seabirds i was just like yeah, yeah sure but keep it yeah, anything can happen in this little you know what, seaside I, town i mentioned but that was the, the thing they eased you into accepting that which is a yeah. thing for an american audience like they that it was seems, very gentle yeah, yeah, yeah it seems yeah. to be forget, a very big american taboo but I also love that this wasn't made for an American audience and Sam yeah. has just trusted that we would find it if it, if yeah. it was right. But um, I mentioned I love the fireworks scene, but I also love the hospital scene. And, mm. you know, the race, the racial stuff that comes in early 80s in Britain and, and how that was a turning point. Oh, my point. God. The guys that played the fucking neo-Nazis were terrifying. They were terrifying. They that nailed was, it. I, yeah, that was that was done, I thought, with class. I hope it was done yeah. with class on yeah, their end, but for me, I thought yeah. that was done. The character but like, was done with class. I, I um, yeah, I feel like those guys like hugged everyone after they. Did I hope so. I, ho- I hope they. Yeah. I hope they went up to Michael Ward and he went, "Guys, I'm all right." It's like, yeah. Um, Romper stomper shit. But right but there. but the yeah. scene. You know what I loved? So we 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 know we're in the future. We're in spoilers. I loved when it turns out to be his mom, and 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 that guess was in my mind, but I'm I'm. I'm not one to be like, that's the mom. Like, I'm literally like, they haven't told me it's the mom, so I'll play along. It's totally fine. It might not be. She has the accent, so maybe it's not, you know, but it Name probably tag is. tag was right there. Okay, that's on me then. Yeah, I think you were supposed to know it was yeah. his mom. I mean, keep going, keep going. Anyway, <laughs> I loved when all the mom asked, because we're talking about basically a sexual relationship, rather than the mom say, what? to your point, an American film would have done is be like, you fuck my son, you have sex with my son, whatever. She said, did you go to the beach with my son? And she said, yeah, yeah we yeah, we went to the beach. Yeah. But it was like, but what and I remember later, from the beach is like, not the fact that they're in a re- yeah. romantic relationship. Later, what I remember like, was, it was a, yes, there was a mental illness issue at the beach, but at the same point time, it was just, it was a lovely trip to the beach. But also it was like, I don't know what your deal is, but you make him happy. And I think, the yeah. mom, and the yeah. mom I mean, knows, course, the mom yeah. knows what, what Olivia Coleman knows, which is this can't be forever, but yeah. for this period of time, 
which is this is this is the best nostalgia not when nostalgia is eternal but when it's so specific it can only be eternal shakespeare right every every shakespeare play is set in a specific time even if we don't know it's like oh denmark 1300s 1400s but it's not now whenever you try to make a shakespeare play now it sucks everybody trying to make a shakespeare play now stop it it sucks every time don't set these shows in the don't sh- don't set them in vietnam because there's going to be one scene where you go you know the Viet Cong didn't talk that way. They do it all the time, and it's like, guys, enough. We get it. We have parallels Don't to today. If you set this when it's set, I will catch. Oh my God, that still happens today. I don't need you to for this ugh, anyway. And don't make it a musical. Do you Stop guys making feel Shakespeare like, a musical. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> what was I talking about? Doesn't matter. I feel like I've said some critical things. Like I think Jeff said. I feel like the overwhelming feeling I had. Oh yeah, for sure. Me too, dude. The overwhelming feeling I had when I was watching it was like. I'm so happy that, you know, a James Bond filmmaker, a a cinematographer that can just name their picture and name their price. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, he did two bonds with them. That they're, no, he didn't. He didn't do Spectre. He just did Skyfall. He did. Right? I thought he only filmed uh, Skyfall with him. Doesn't matter. The point I'm making is that that they would choose to make something, a pandemic, sure, but that they would choose to make something that was, it was very, very isolated. Yeah, and very small. And it wasn't small in like a like we've seen. I don't think I wouldn't call the cinematography pedestrian or or, or very small. He still made the most, if you will, of a of oh a my large God. space. He like dirtied up those shots as much as he could. It was amazing. It was great. I mean, so I have no, yeah, I have I mean, no notes. Just, I'm, not, so I'm not going to give notes to Uncle Deacons. You're right. I was thinking no. Sam Mendes when you said two Bond movies. Um, you know who the cinematographer yeah, yeah. on Spectre was? Is Hoyta Van Hoytema, who's Christopher Nolan's uh, Yeah, boy. that's what I thought. Yeah, I thought it was Hoyta. Yeah. Uh, but D- Dave, let's talk about it, though. Let's, we're all, we, we love Roger so much, and it's kind of hard to imagine. Oh, yeah, what are, the, what are the four Sam shots? <laughs> sorry, Dave. Sorry, imagine. No, you're good. It's kind of hard to imagine Sam Mendes, the language of his movies without Deacons filming them. I think he's done a yeah. couple without him, but. This just, you know, it's at least you know right? that just, you're going to get you're going to get something yeah. similar with them. So what, yeah, every, what did you love about this one? He just used every environment to its its full capacity, like the abandoned theater area where like there were the birds and stuff and and just the fact that the windows like were different shades of color. Like they had different like one of them had like CTO over it and the other one was plain just the fact that like they alternated and stuff like that little things that were in these shots that just made it a little bit real and like it it gave it character the scenery was given character by the cinematography but also like mm-hmm. even outside when they're using like just a fence in the foreground to dirty up the shot like everything was so carefully thought out as you'd do- expect I love especially in something that that steps in nostalgia I love when you have the photographic images I'm such a sucker for them. So when she leaves and you see Steven in the background when they're upstairs and she opens the door and uh-huh. he's in the background with the do- with the light behind yeah. him and he and he's in a silhouette essentially, but it's just through this one fraction of the frame. Like I I'm such a sucker for that, but I love that he does that. But then also the outdoor scenes don't feel, you know, they just they still no. they, they yeah. still feel as scaled as the inside stuff, which is cool. And of course with this he loves high ceilings. I imagine that was like a thrill. That he that there was um, height with the camera inside too, which is cool. I'm not an expert yeah. on this shit, but like that was cool. What are your four shots? Give me no, four shots. That, like, 
I mean, I just described about three of them. I, the like, the fireworks one was, I, is the best. Yeah. perfect, right? I mean, the fireworks shot was a composite, I feel. Get the fuck. Um, okay, yeah. Right, yeah. I think it was too. That was my. That would hmm. be my guess as well. Um, yeah, but I'm not yeah. sure. But no, just like... You don't the, think he shut off fireworks in the middle just for this little... No, <laughs> I don't think... I think that was a composite. Um, but yeah, the definitely the shots upstairs in the, the abandoned theatre were a highlight. The shot... Um, with Toby Jones on the stairs where they just dirtied up with like just some yeah. railing in the foreground and stuff like that. Um, the shots under the, the overpass where the, like the neo-Nazi guys start oh, yeah. attacking Michael Ward and like all of those shots are like classic Deacons. And, but it also like it fits his style, but it also fit the film. And mm-hmm. that's that's an accomplishment, like to fit the tone of the film with your own style. And I was, it was just beautiful. Dave, could you spot a pigeon with a broken wing from a hundred yards away? Are you talking with a rifle <laughs> or a camera? <laughs> with a rifle or a camera? <laughs> what a good response! Oh my god. Um. What else? Uh, what else? I want to ask. I want to ask something else about this. Oh, Colin Firth. Can we talk about what a role for Colin oh, Firth? Oh my he god! There, he, yeah. I have despicable. three scenes. I have three scenes. They're all despicable. Yeah, I'm some, gonna be as much of an asshole assaults, as possible. And then I have to <laughs> gaslight. It's like, let's go. Yeah. I'm good. Oh my god! How good is Colin Firth in this role? It's like, well, it's wonderful. like we were talking about earlier in the week with uh, Sadie Sink. Like she plays a horrible, horrible fucking teenage role. Like Colin Firth played a horrible fucking boss. Oh my god! When she says no that one time, and that the, and the his response was like, "Yeah, it was, uh, it was, is you have to say it was good because even though we want Olivia Coleman to have the win, yeah. First of all, it's a British film, so she can't just she's never going to have a downright out like applause moment in a you know what I mean. There's always going to be some nuance in there, but like, oh my god, it's it's he knew his job. Yeah, he knew his job. He said, "I can add some serious depth to this movie." This person with mental health issues, I need to be the antagonist, and I need to. Uh, man, yeah. I, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. John, acting teacher, what do you think of Colin first performance? You great, drunk man. ass! Oh my god, <laughs> this it's happening to him. This is what guys, when you don't eat and then you drink a lot, he says all these glowing things, and then you, I look at him and you're ghostly. You're just like, oh wow. No, I'm, I'm listening, dude. I'm just listening <laughs> yeah, to listening this to wonderful you. conversation. What are you gonna eat after this? I want to echo it. <laughs> I, I already ordered everything a in the cup. Korean Korean barbecue. Oh my <laughs> god! Oh, just, oh my god! Amazing. Now um, I want to. I echo what you were saying. <laughs> what both of you kind of said that. Um, there were some moments uh, with cinematography inside the theater that are kind of like exactly what you would expect if you knew, mm. if you knew you were telling this kind of story, but especially if you knew you were dealing with that kind of cinematographer and director team, um, which is why I think some of the most effective moments for me with cinematography were not in the theater. Yeah, they were yeah, in yeah. her apartment, Ooh. and they were outside, mm. um, where I did kind of just start to. I, I was thinking about the cinematography sometimes inside the theater. And sometimes I loved thinking about it. I really enjoyed the opening, which might some people might say that's the most nostalgic moment where they introduced the theater. But it didn't feel like it was too much. That was kind of what I was saying earlier about how Sam walked up to the edge. I feel like Roger was doing it too. 
they were shots of like all these stereotypical cliches yes. of like certain images that exist inside a, a movie theater, okay. especially one, an one old thing movie I have a problem with. Like, okay, they they've literally t- walked in, turned on the lights, and the thing is full of popcorn. How fucking stale is that popcorn? That was weird. I, yeah. I thought about that too. Um, I thought about that too. But a lot of the other shots, I thought that they they went up to the edge and they felt not pedestrian, but they didn't feel too glamorous for me to not think these are the kinds of images that the people who work there would see in their mind's eye. And I appreciated that. They're like, mm. yes, it's a heightened realism kind of place because it's a movie theater and the facade and the the molding and all of the stuff inside is is very ornate and pretty on purpose. But it still felt like these are the images of the memories that maybe she had of this place when she was not there, when she was in the hospital. So I felt like they did a good job of like going up to that edge. I felt like mm. that consistently. This was a very picturesque seaside town too. That giant tidal pool, you know, man-made tidal pool. Yeah, it was there. Um, there were a lot of those shots that, when they were having those scenes on the beach and then at that tidal pool, where I was like, "Dude, there's like six shots. There's like six setups in this scene, but they're <laughs> they're so simple. Yeah, and they're so well composed that I don't really want any more because it's going to make me think about the cinematography. Sometimes I felt like the stuff inside the house and. Roger Deakins, I'm, I'm obsessed with you. I'm not saying this was a mistake, but I feel like sometimes I'm, I just weren't, I wasn't quite sure how they wanted me to feel about the perception of the place, the movie theater itself. Because sometimes the cinematography felt like it was working against the realism that the characters were supposed to be portraying. Hmm. And I don't think I know they did it on purpose. Like obviously, yeah, these guys I, are too I feel fucking. Like as her they're too smart drifted, not to. Like they, it got more like that. It got more heightened yeah. for you as, as her it mental drifted? state drifted. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's a good. Yeah, I think that's a good point because because I knew they were doing it, and I I you know, I felt like there's there's a reason why they're going in this direction, yeah. but I wasn't I wasn't quite sure if it you know if it landed for me, but I don't know. I mean, it's still fucking every single shot was was just absolutely gorgeous and, and very effective. Um, I like that Toby Jones, I like that he was a bit of a secret and that we eventually got to kind of reveal there was a heightened moment. I don't mm. want to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. There was a heightened moment when, um, uh, what's his name? When Michael Ward did get to go in there for the first time yeah. and they really took their time and they established the office with the pictures and everything within storytelling wise. I like how they kind of skip ahead and it's just, they mm. just kind of discuss and talk about how he's working with Toby Jones, yeah. how he's yeah. let, how Toby Jones is like, letting him be there. I like how they saved Toby to the end where he like finally yeah. revealed that stuff about himself. And that kind of signaled a new level of friendship between like the yeah. staff like they'd opened up to each other through the events that had happened to yeah. them. Back to slice of life by the end. Yeah. That was cool. It came for a little bit. Back full to slice of life. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's what that is. Those when when my, you reveal yeah. those, those, dramatic, definitely... those things, but not for dramatic purposes, just to reveal them, yeah. you know, just so that just for context basically, and just to keep it moving. And he owned so that like, scene too. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's, he's, brilliant. he's on yeah. the they team Deacon's podcast as well. My friends. <laughs> Toby Jones. Yeah. This season. Oh, excellent. Yeah. We, we is, should get him on here sometime. Sure, sure, sure. Those were definitely my favorite moments in this movie, though. I, for, for me personally, 
like, of course, I'm not, I, I'm not going to say anything critical about things that maybe didn't work f for me because I know that they did them with intention. But the moments that felt like I was not thinking about the movie theater necessarily, and I was really just living with them in whatever scenario it was, and it, it made me stop thinking about filmmaking at all. Those are the moments that worked for me. Yeah. Um, like the best for sure. And it all built to I mean, what I thought was a, a really lovely tiny scene mm, at the end yeah. where she kind of gets to just say goodbye to him. And I have, and, uh, I have said yeah, before, like nice. it, it, in anything Roger Deakins shoots, there is stuff that is noticeably Roger Deakins. There's always like at least one shot. So it, yeah. like the cinematography in a Roger Deakins, like a film Roger's working on, there will be a couple of things that distract you because it's just the shot. It's just so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, just, it's just so beautiful. Can I shout out one other acting performance? This guy, uh, Tom Brooke, who plays Neil in this movie, who's the tall, skinny guy that yeah. that's, is, is the one who smells shit. He knows what's, he knows that something's going on between yeah. them. He's in the, he has a great episode in the crown. He's the guy that sneaks into the, in season four with Olivia Coleman. Oh, shit. With Olivia Coleman. And he sneaks in. He's the working class guy. And when Margaret Thatcher is like getting rid of all these, you know, working class jobs, he breaks into Buckingham Palace and just is sitting there when the queen wakes up. And he's just like, <laughs> hey, uh, I just want you to know that, you know, it's hard for us out there. And I, I don't think you know that. Like, I don't think you visit us. I don't think you know what's going on. And it's it's hard to make do. Like, I work really hard and, and I don't have enough money and my family mm -hmm. hates me. And, and, it sucks. I just want you to know that you live in this big house and I work hard too. And, and I don't have a fancy toothbrush or a maid. And it's, and she like, he's so good in this that the queen doesn't even press charges and this guy broke in Buckingham palace. Yeah. And he plays that yeah. guy. He's so good in this. He's in preacher death of Stalin. He's in pirate radio. So he's a journeyman actor, Lambda mm. guy. And he just he does was a his, highlight. He just does his he job because, because honestly, yeah. he honestly, we could have easily gone through this podcast and not mentioned him, but at the same time, whatever plot there is in this movie, he is a, he is central to it. Yes. Cause he noted, he is the seer. He is the one who notices when things are going strange, when things are going awry. He is in weird, in a weird way, our cue into like, Oh, he's they're, kind of the they're, one, he's kind of the one who moves exposition, exposition along. Exactly. So well. he knows, yeah. he knows there's something not right here. Colin Firth knows this. She's okay as long as she does this. He is this inner, he is this, in a weird way, as far as the chi of the movie theater goes, he's the center, not her. Yeah. We think it's her, but it's not. And Colin Firth's right. in charge, but he's the center of this demographic. And I think he actually nailed his job. I think he nailed it, his job. So shout out Tom Burke. Tom Brooke. Mm. Sorry, Tom Brooke. I think the last thing I want to say is just, um, and this is on the page, but they, they, they really brought it off the page and made me feel it. I have not had this experience, but I have been not not necessarily romantically. I have had friends who are older, like much older than me, like way older than you, Dave. Like 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 way older than our. Jeez. <laughs> like way older than <laughs> our, than our friends. Reba's knocking at the door. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help. It was right there. Go fuck yourself. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean to, to drink more before you eat anything. Sure, 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 sure. I have a. Uh, Anyway, that feeling at the very end where I was very aware that for him, for Michael Ward, this was a little bit of coming of age, not yeah. for her. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, this that was a nice a, little subtle thing. It was super, super clear to me. And that was one of the first times I had really resonated with that as like, 
he's going to move on. And, and she says, like, you're going to have such a wonderful time in college. Yeah. Your life is about to begin. And I am living in a, her, Olivia Coleman is living in a place where this is going to be a lovely chapter in her life that she'll never get to relive again. He's definitely not coming yeah. back. Right. Yeah. Like, I felt like it, it was so clear and it was so, it was so touching to me. I, I, know, I was really, really moved by the end. And I just want to shout out one more time. The, the music was this is amazing. This was yeah. the most romantic Ross. score yeah. that those guys have ever written. Yeah. I can't stop listening to it. it it's see. so simple. It's it's their classic minimalism, but it has so much it has so much romanticism to it. I, I don't really know what, well, what other word to use. But. Dave Dave and I talked about Bones and All, so I'm curious to hear because they did the score for Bones and All too, which is a full Americana film, also set in a very yeah. similar time period. Um, I I agree. I feel like I was going to say something, and I think I got too drunk, so I don't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it seems like I was just saying that that it's a memory for her and coming of age for him. Yes, because early on, she says, you need to go to school. It'll be great. And even though they get into a relationship, she understands later that she can't change that mindset, Mm. that that's still true. And I'm glad that they set that up in the very slice of life way. You got to go to college. It'll be great for you. This could be the beginning of the end. And then later when it happens, she is happy for him, even though she knows that she's going to lose a part of herself. It was something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Even finish. the fact that we're having trouble talking about it and articulating it, like that is the bullseye of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I think we've all been kind of dancing around. We're trying to say how we felt about it, but there's a lot of ambiguity to the structure and storytelling. It didn't, it did not fall cleanly into any genre, no, into any kind of traditional narrative it shifted arc. a lot. And I think that's why it did. And I think that's why like any criticisms we may have had, I guess mostly Jeff and I, we're going to possibly feel different about this as we watch this in the future. Let's and I can't say it enough. That thing I was saying at the beginning, I'm about to say, and what I what have you been watching? I saw another film that was about nostalgic of, of film and all that. This this a foreign film. This so I can't wait to see this without that being the context because I, I know I'm going to like it even more. And I really liked it. I'm going to ask you a question that's impossible to answer, and I promise, Dave, you're about to mix this episode down. We're going to this is it. It's an impossible to answer, so I don't want to start a 20-minute conversation, but it's going to be talked about in this movie that they might have just thrown in the, the, the racial element of this. It's going to be it's going to be talked about. It was, it's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's, it's not just a sign of the times that we have to talk about these things, but 1980 London, Michael Ward's character get, is skinheads following him. They have the abuse. They have the, the full-on violence at the end. Do you think that... Um, do you do you think that they're commenting on she has her problems because she has mental health not comparing them because this is still kind of slice of life but whenever when he is in trouble because of this she is very clear-headed yeah do you know what i mean so i wonder if they're saying like we all have our issues but this is systemic versus personal i wonder if he's i wonder if he's not necessarily giving us answers i wonder if he's not even just like saying this for dramatic purposes and obviously if you have a mental health issue you know that transcends all of these kinds of things but it is very curious that when michael ward gets in trouble not because of anything that he did because he's a brilliant amazing person but you know when his character yeah. goes through shit, she's very clear-headed. She's she, her mental health and her illness has nothing to do with with her ability to understand what's going on. Again, impossible to answer, and I don't want to finish on that. But like, do you, do you think that that is something that Sam Mendes was conscious about? Do you think he could have done better? With what do you think? Really quick, I thought I thought all of that was handled beautifully. 
Like she was not at all affected by the prejudice that was happening outside that theater. Well, she was affected by it, but it didn't. Well, I mean, she was affected by it, but like she didn't, like she wasn't influenced by it. It was a case of Correct. I don't see why this is an issue from the get go. That was that was her voice, she, and that was one of the things that made her yeah. like a very like res, like empathetic character. So yeah. I feel like that think, was just think, the culmination of that. I think uh, maybe less about like intention because I do think he intended that, but I don't know. I don't necessarily get into the weeds about that. I feel like it was lovely commentary on the fact that as we are moving into this new age where this is being discussed on the surface all the time, and it's wonderful that it is, there was a period of time where somebody who you think would have enough empathy to extend to someone who was under extreme circumstances mm. was even completely in denial of it yeah. until they yeah. literally saw it. Yeah. And I thought that was very beautifully. I agree. Definitely. It was beautifully handled that they established that I believed it because it's fucking 1980 and you know, they justified yeah. some things by saying she didn't really watch the news or watch the movies as much. So she wasn't thinking about what was happening the way he was where he watched the news every night. And of course that he was black. Um, but I really enjoyed that they were, I don't think he was trying to say, look how far we've come by any means. I think he was just trying to say that there I, are certain, there are certain contexts that we see these issues through. And if I show this honestly, it's a good example of how some people are just not awake to these things yet. Yeah. And once like they are, they're very exist. much on board. And who's the crazy person here? if you exist here? in your bubble, you're not going to deal right. with them and they need to be dealt with. Yeah. 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 Who's crazy? The person I with love mental that he health said that the, understands uh, these things or the person who, quote unquote, doesn't have a mental health issue, but believes things that are, you know. That's a fucking skinheads are the issue. Well, we, yeah. Yeah. But I thought <laughs> they did it well. Yeah. And we didn't talk about it at all, but I thought that sequence. Once they got inside the theater, I think we all knew what was going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. the shift in tone of the celebration of her birthday to what's that noise to kind of the euphoric awe of watching the parade to the turn of, you know, with the music and them starting to hit on the windows and stuff. That was a really, that was probably the most uh, intense part of the whole movie. And I thought, I don't know. I thought they handled that well for Mm. a, they don't want it to make it like an action movie, but it it really started to kind of raise itself into this place of, um, I don't know, like only uh, filmmakers of that quality can really take something that was going to be that much of a subtle arc and then just fucking hit you in the face with it. And yeah. I thought that they nailed it really Same. well. And it was it was very disturbing. Her screams in silence uh, really bothered me. Yeah. Yeah. And the way, was, and the way, and the way Michael acted that, of course. All right. Not to end on a downer, but um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's important because it's part of the film and, and it is important part of the yeah. legacy. So. All right, people, thank you so much for sticking with us this long. We're going to go quickly. Hold on, on, quick round. I gotta pee, man. I'm, I'm just like. What, what? What you been watching? Yeah, I'm coming back. All right, but John, you get to this John, you get to go first today. Okay, hold on a second. Are you, t- are you typing up your list of what you've been seeing? I just wanted to make sure I get this uh, director's name right because do, do you want- I got to go to watch a uh, an advanced screening by a film name uh, by Pan Nalan, Indian filmmaker, maybe Nalan. It's called The Last Film Show, <laughs> which huh. is what I was referring to. It's Another kind of nostalgic piece. It's really, really good, though. I think everybody should go see it. Um, it did not slip into sentimentality for me. This was this was really pure. But I would call it. I would go as far to say that it might be the 
uh, an Indian filmmaker's look back on his cinema Paradiso, a young person being introduced to okay. cinema. Nice. Uh, good, really good. Timely view of that movie, I would say. It's yeah, it's weird that it happened so so much back to back. I also saw um, for the first time a movie that was on Criterion that's called a uh, close up. I love that. Have really, your Criterion really password. This goddamn Criterion's great. Okay, close up. It's great. By Abbas uh, Kiarostami, an Iranian filmmaker. I had heard of this movie for a long time. I finally watched it. Really, really unique film. Made sight and sounds top one hundred over the ages. No shit. Uh, really, really the new unique. list. The new list. Their new final, what what has still maintained the top 100 after decades of doing it. They released something recently, which is like these still are our top 100 after reviewing a top 100 for every decade or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and then on the other edge of the spectrum, I watched the Entourage movie oh, because God. I finished the Entourage series recently in my late night. Didn't want to take anything too seriously watching. Yeah, I will still stand by. Uh, which uh, which Dylan brother plays Johnny Drama? Jeff, help me out. What is his name? Um, Kevin. Is it Kevin Dylan? Yeah, it is. Kevin Dylan and Jeremy Piven are comedic diamonds. In in I'm sorry, that show is ridiculous. I know everybody has a lot of judgment for it in different ways, but they are fucking funny on that show. Yeah. That movie. Yeah. Was not good. The movie's bad. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will say that. Wait, that what? Jeremy ended, and I was like, Jeremy Pivot in that in that scene at that when he sits there and he's like, he was like, um, uh, whatever. Haley Joel Osment character is like, he wanted to fuck or whatever. That whole scene, Jeremy Pivot was like, he knew. He was like, the scene sucks. I need to do more. And as he was doing it, you you could see the shame in him, but both as the actor and the character being like, this isn't enough. Dave, do you know what we're talking about? No. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm actually I'm happy for you. Anyway. And you haven't heard of any Wait, of the other Jer- movies that Jeremy John's Piven seen. and Haley Joel Osment were in the same film. Yeah, How did this happen? Yeah, it was. It was even. So anyway. It was after the Mercury situation in New York. Oh. Yeah, whatever. Which, which Jeremy. Yeah, too. it was weird. So shout out to Doug Ellen and whatever Mark Wall. Those people. That, that was, also, there was an yeah. injury. Somebody, somebody like lot, dislocated their shoulder during that shoot. But you know, they just had to do it, and they did it. They got their money. Great. Um, Dave, you haven't heard yeah, of John, anything else? John talked about you had never heard of for sure. Okay, what what else have you been watching? I'm going to have to go back now. Yeah. Um, no, they all sound I, great. Well, well, this is a two-episode night, so I, I pretty much rattle off everything I've been watching because I worked 70 fucking hours because my Correct. job chased me like a robot. Well, you watched a little bit of the World Cup. Come on, the World I Cup's did. going on right I now. These little, games I'm, are good. I'm, dude, I'm Team Morocco right now. Yeah, go Those Morocco, motherfuckers France. want it. That goalie is distantly related to the fucking Flash. So, yeah. France Morocco on Wednesday. I can't not, wait to watch the Not first the Flash step. that molests people in Hawaii, like the Flash that is like fast. Uh, where's my buzzer? There I'll it do it. Is. Okay, I deserve it. Uh, great. So World Cup's going so well. I can't wait. Uh, we're recording this right before tomorrow is Argentina versus Morocco, and then France versus. Croatia is the next day, I think, or some uh, some shit, something like that. No, no, Morocco is playing. France, yeah. Croatia is playing Argentina tomorrow. Anyway, um, uh, what else have we been watching? Sex Lives of College Girls is fine. Season one was way, way, way better. Um, North by Northwest. Uh, I, I, I watched North by Northwest. I never seen that before, and it's so great. I didn't know that it was about a. I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. God damn it, that movie's so good. It made, I, I've texted you about Hitchcock. That was really iconic. Oh yeah. my god, and you see some parodies like so good. fuck for years. I said this about Psycho, and I'm going to say it about North by Northwest. The reason these movies are so good is not just because he knows horror. It's because the stories are good. 
He just happens to be telling them through the lens of horror. But God and damn it, that least, story is so good. There's at least good. one iconic shot and everything. And again, we think about it, yeah. the filmmaking. We think, oh, he made this film so good. He knows horror. He knows tension. Like that no, plane sequence has been parodied that, right up to Guardians of the Galaxy. Too. The fact that Cary Grant has no idea what's going on. It's Cary Grant, right? The fact that he has no yeah. idea what's going on. And it's it's all this. And then rather than sit me sit there the whole movie and just be like, can you just tell him who he is? The fact that they show us the other side of it at a certain point is like I, I as soon as they did that, where I, I saw the FBI and they're like, well, we can't stop now. It's our it's like I was like, this is so fucking good. I, I It's so good. So North by Northwest. And then I wasn't here last week. So Wednesday in 1899, I'll just sort of reiterate that I was I started 1899 because I was recommended it. And I do. I did like it. But I'm not going to lie to you guys. Every character had a secret and the show had a secret. And they were giving you these little tiny like three second snapshots at the end of every episode. And eventually I was like, I need more. You got to give me more. And then I started Wednesday and I watched all of Wednesday. <laughs> and then I tried to go back to 1899 and I was gone. I lost it. So I haven't finished 1899. I don't know. Yeah, if I I'm, I'm one episode in 1899. I'm like, no, oh, it's, it's something going to happen. It's good, but you can tell yeah. that they're playing secrets, and playing secrets gets Is old fast. Is this a uh, Taylor Sheridan? No, Taylor Sheridan. Uh, show? No, I love Sheridan. I love Sheridan. It's not Sheridan. Um, Wednesday, though, I love Wednesday. I will say, I think the last it's episode not? it was either. You can look it up. Um, you go ahead, type, 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 type. Um, the I end won't. of Wednesday, I will say, it was one of two things. It was either written by teenagers or it was written for teenagers. Because that last episode, I was like, man, I thought they I thought they set everything up really well. And I did not love the finale. But I can't wait for season two. I'm really happy for all of them. But that's just me. I thought everything was great. I thought they I thought they got a little too cute with the finale personally. But with Wednesday. Yeah. Was it Tyler Sheridan? Was it Ty Sheridan for 1899? I don't think it. it's not. What am I thinking of? That is the uh, one of the 1880. Seven- yeah, is that what it's called? Though? Yeah, those are all the Yellowstone yeah. universe. But the, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. it's like the it's the Yellowstone, but it I spins love, off of Yellowstone and it takes place in the 19th century. I love in 1899 that all the cultures speak the different languages. I love yes. that they do that. That's cool. You have to you have to carefully select your uh, language settings on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. I did. Do not okay. choose dubbed. <laughs> um, is that Ben Affleck? Okay, stop. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week when we're talking about Avatar The Way of Water. You two better have your fucking tickets for Avatar The Way of Water. I do. What day? Where are you going? Monday. What? You're going... Are you taking Monday yeah, off before our record? Yeah, I took the day off work. Yeah. For, for Avatar? Well, also because it sucks. You're working Saturday and God, Sunday? I hope it's good, you guys. You're working... It's nominated for best. The Golden Globes don't matter. Dave, you're nominated for. Do you know the the president, the former president of the Foreign Hollywood Hollywood Foreign Press Association, um, groped Brendan Fraser and he um, alleged sexual assault 15 years later. I don't know if you knew that. So there you go, Golden Globes. I did know that. The reason to hate yeah. them. Um, Dave, you took off Monday. You have to work Saturday and Sunday. No, I just took off Monday. Oh, cool. See you guys. Uh, good talk. Um, it's my birthday weekend. Fuck everyone. <laughs> can't wait good ending see you guys later thanks for <laughs> listening like and subscribe all the good stuff is that Ben Affleck? Let's get the fuck out of here oh for fuck's sake mm-hmm.